Greetings all of God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph, where today in Lesson 50, we have reached the Jubilee, number 50, and we are in chapter 65 of uh, Isaiah. And we continue the story of the identity of the true church of God, the who and the what, that is the question, is the true church of God. And so, uh, we continue with chapter 65. In verse 1, God is telling us, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. And I said, Here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. And this is basically what we began uh, covering uh, at the end. Well, actually, that was the end of last lesson, uh, the, the beginning of the chapter. And so we continue the story from... And so God is speaking to his own people, and he's telling them long in advance that he came to them, and they were not willing to listen to him. So he went to to get some others to make them jealous, just like he told them through Moses. And then we read uh, we read uh, in verse 9, at the end of the story. In other words, just because God took some others uh, to make uh, his people jealous, it doesn't mean that he rejected his people. But he wanted to bring them back to himself, because he's their husband. He's going to marry them. And this is uh, written about 800 years before it happened, in the days of Isaiah. And so he tells them, anyway, uh, thus says the Lord, verse 8, As the new one is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. In other words, in spite of their problems, God is going to bring them back. And verse 9, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountain. So God makes it very specifically clear so nobody can misunderstand. But he's talking about his own people. And so in specific, he makes it very clear that he's speaking about Jacob and about Judah. My elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. And the earth that he's talking about is the land of Israel. And then, after that, for the rest of the nations. But the emphasis always in the scriptures is first on Israel. And then the rest come later. In verse 10, Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of a horror place for herds to lie down. For my people, that is the people of Israel, who have sought me, that is, this Sharon and flocks and all the, all the blessings that he's going to give to his people is going to be for his people, as he says, for my people who have sought me. Uh, that means also that the people who hate God and hate his law and hate his path and hate his, his ways, uh, who do not seek God, they aren't going to have that. And that's why Christ warned them in his day, you know, that unless they repent, uh, they're not going to be in the kingdom, at least not in that phase, the first one, when he comes. Later on, they'll have to wait for the second resurrection. Uh, some people not misunderstanding that thought, you know, they were all lost, they all went to hell. That's not what Christ meant. He didn't give his life so his children can go to hell. And so we continue in verse 11, But you are those who forsake the eternal, speaking to the people who did forsake God, who forget my holy mountain, Jerusalem. In other words, you forget that the center of the nation, the purpose of it, you know, the, the law that comes out of it, you know, as later on uh, uh, he told them. 
When the time comes, out of Zion, out of his holy mountain, shall the law go forth, shall the Torah go forth, go forth and the word of God from uh, the Torah, from Jerusalem. But said, you forgot my mountain, my holy mountain, the purpose of it, and my habitation there. In other words, you forgot me. Therefore, in verse 12, he says, I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. That's his own people, his own wife, that is members of his own people. Because when I called, you did not answer. And that's why in the beginning of the chapter we read, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am. So he's constantly speaking to his people. And he constantly sent the prophets to them, seeking them. As he said, you know, I sent you the prophets, you know, calling for you early in the morning. And you would not hear. But even then, that was not the end of the line. Even though he was going to send them to captivity and punish them many times, that still was not the end of the story. And that's what people don't understand when they don't read the whole story. And so he said, therefore I will uh, number you for the, for the sword, in verse 12, in the middle of uh, the verse, because when I called you did not answer, when I spoke you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes, and chose that which I do not delight. And so, that's what he's saying to the wicked. As Christ later on gave them many parables of the children of the kingdom, those who are going to be obedient. And since we know that all Israel is going to be saved, that is with the exception of very few, naturally he's not speaking about many of them, but still there were too many of them. And the majority will repent, because God is going to offer them repentance. And so he says in verse 13, Therefore thus is eternal God, behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servant shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart. And wail for grief of spirit, you shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen. For the eternal God will slay you and call his servants by another name. So it's still speaking about the children of Israel who are written in the book of life. And, in contrast, to those among them who are going to be the rebels, no matter what he tells them. Like today, you know, you go to the world, or many times, many centuries before that, and he tells them about the law of God, he tells them about the ways of God, and they reject it. And even it is coming. Some of them probably will be among the children of Israel also. Even it is coming. Or the punishment before it's coming, on the day of the Lord. Uh, the everlasting gospel will be given by the holy angel, as you read about in Revelation, and before that, the two witnesses will be warning them during that time. And yet, he said that many of them are going to curse God instead of that, and are going to rebel. And the uh, majority of them will be of the nations, but some of them will be Israelites. And so that, this is, this is a message, you know, is directed to those who hate the law of God, who hate the path of God, the way of God, who hate the holy mountain. You know, who believe in lies. We don't need a holy mountain, we don't need a kingdom on this earth, we're going to heaven, and so forth. And so, God is making it very plain. But they are not going to be there, if that's their attitude. And, in verse 15, You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen, for the eternal God will slay you and call his servants by another name. So he's going to slay the wicked. Just like the parable of the person that came uh, to the wedding supper, so to speak, didn't have the right garments. And God asked him, well, What are you doing here? Well, he was speechless. Why? Because all this time, you know, he, he went his own way, would not forsake his way. 
but forsook the way of God, would not forsake his religion, which he thought was a true religion of God, but forsook the religion of God and would not repent and would not change. Well, God says, throw him out of here. That person doesn't want me to rule over him. In other words, he's not willing to submit to my law. So get him, get him out of here. And that's what God is talking about here, uh, about those among his people who are that way and about others who will also be that way. And so he's, he's talking about his own servants in contrast to those who are not. Verse 16, so he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. The one that he said, I am the truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. So there is nothing wrong with swearing, but because people were not swearing uh, properly, God told them don't even do that when he came in the flesh. Until we learn to do it properly. And uh, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my eyes. In other words, there would be no more problems for the people of God. And so in verse 17, now we go to a phase now, which is going to be not only the coming of Christ, or the Redeemer of Israel, but that is applicable also to the second resurrection. So it's a double uh, uh, prophecy here, so to speak, for double times. A double meaning here. Verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth. You go to Revelation 21.1, you read the same thing. Now the reason why you do, because it's all one book. There is no division between books or chapters or even verses in the Bible. It's a continuous utterances of the mouth of God. And yet people want to divide and confuse and make divisions. And God is not you know, the author of division. Man is. God never divided you know, the so-called Old Testament and New Testament. God didn't divide the books. God didn't divide the chapters. Man did for their own benefit and sometimes to justify their own theology. And so it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So obviously now he's not even talking uh, about the first one. He's coming uh, about, uh, about the second, or ultimately speaking. But even with the first one, there's going to be a lot of chaos and confusion uh, when he comes. So uh, modification is, uh, is going to happen upon the face of the earth. And also with all the debris of the volcanoes and everything else up in the, in the air. So... Uh, it's going to be just a sort of uh, type, and, uh, in other words, uh, type and prototype of the same event. Uh, verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever when I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. Jerusalem. See? The people of God, the nation of God, the church of God. Jerusalem is symbolic of the nation, of the people. That's the bride of God. So, for behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And who are the people of Jerusalem? I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And who are the people of God? This message is very simple. That's the simplicity in Christ. The children can understand that. Babes can understand that. But the wise and the prudent can't. And many in our midst are supposedly wise and prudent can't understand such a simple message. That's why they don't understand who and what is the true church of God. So, we develop our own theology and do a work based on what? On misconceptions. So, verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, as I can read in Revelation 7, verse 17, and nor the voice of crying. And no more, verse 20, shall an infant from there live but a few days. 
you know, because of sickness and disease and iniquity of men and all that. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. So every man is going to fulfill his days. For the child, uh, the child shall die 100 years old. So if the child dies 100 years old, that's sort of a fulfillment of his days. But the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So even if he lives his full days, but if he has not been obedient, it's not going to do him any good. Living 100 years old, it's going to be accursed. Because he lived a life of disobedience. So God is in, in essence indicating there are going to be those kind of people still, even in the coming of the Redeemer, are going to choose that way. It's not that every single person is going to be obedient. Some of them would not be. And hopefully only very, very few. Verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. In other words, here you're talking about the millennium, not after that. But the new heavens and the new earth, the ultimate is after the millennium. And partial fulfillment before that because of necessity. Just like with Genesis 1.1. There was chaos and confusion, and God had to say, let there be light. So he had to rearrange things. And verse 22, They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people. So one place you read a hundred years, another place the days of a tree. What are the days of a tree? Uh, so we can't really say exactly that's going to be a hundred years. You know, uh, some, uh, some have invented this doctrine of a hundred years. I didn't say a hundred years. Because on one hand, he was talking about a baby uh, living to be a hundred years uh, old. And on the other hand, he says, you know, the days of my people are the days of a tree. So, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the eternal and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, speaking about his people now, repentant, obedient, and while they are speaking, I will hear. And a repetition of chapter 11, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt, nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Eternal. And so, the message is very plain. The children of Israel, the church of God, and the city of God, symbolic of the nation. And then we go to uh, chapter 66. Now, let's read uh, verse 5 in chapter 66. Uh, before that, God speaks about the evil people, you know, who do their own thing and have a false religion. And he tells them uh, that as far as he's concerned, Let's begin the chapter actually from uh, verse 1 because uh, that's the background to it. That says, The eternal heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Religious people always want to build those big churches, big synagogues, big whatever. Think of the glorifying God. He says, you do, you do not impress me with that. They said, Well, you know, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For those things my hand has made. See, so you can't impress me with all those things if your heart is not in it. That's in essence what he's going to tell them. And all those exist, all things exist, says the eternal. But, in contrast, all these big buildings that people build, or big work that people do, and all kind of things like that, and yet their heart is far away from God, 
God tells him, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. We've heard so much of the word of God so far, how many are going to tremble at that and believe God rather than the lies they brought with them or believed all their lives? Well, God is going to test every single one of us to realize, uh, to find out whether we tremble at his word or whether we'd rather continue to believe lies. And if some people would rather be killed by God and curse God than repent and change and know that he is God and his truth is his truth. And his church is his church. And that's the people of Israel. Verse 3. So he says to people who are pretending or playing religion. Verse 3. He who kills a bull, that is, brings an offering, which is the biggest thing that he could bring a bull, is as if he slays a man. You can't impress me with that just because you bring a bull. To me, it's no different than if you kill the man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. And he who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Just as they have chosen their own ways. That's the religion of this world. Way. In contrast to the way of God. Whatever name they give it to it. And their soul delights in their abominations. And the swine's blood is one of them. Anything of the, of the swine itself is even worse. It's one of those abominations. Yet God, uh, God uh, though he gives very plain, simple instruction and understanding, people hate it and invent their own. And so you find people that on a false uh, religious holiday, created by men, not by God, they call it Easter, they come before God, a lot of them, sincere people, devout people, and offer him a swine, on the table and ask him to bless it. It's unbelievable. And some who had known better are doing the same. Going back to the, those abominations in their own mind, it's okay. Well, the wicked always thinks that his own way is okay. But God says, you better repent. Let the wicked forsake his way, his religion. And so in verse 4, so will I choose their de delusions by sending them, in essence, demons to bring delusions upon them, as we read later on the New Testament, and to the, you know, the letter to the Thessalonians, because they did not like to retain, you know, the love of the truth. God sent them uh, seducing spirits to deceive them. And they believe those delusions, which they invent from their own mind. And they bring their fears on them, because when I called, no one answered, and when I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that which I do not delight. And so, God now is speaking to the people who are not that kind of a people, but who tremble at the word of God, who are humble people, who are not after doing great works to glorify themselves, whatever it may be, great building, great work, great this and great that. But the humble people, obedient to God, simple people. Verse 5, Hear the eternal that is here the word of the eternal, you who tremble at his word. So many people are so busy doing the work, their own work, but they don't tremble at the word of God. They make fun of it. They walk in their own ways. So God says to the people who tremble at the word of God, and that's their greatness and that's their work, your brethren who hated you, actually hate you, 
like in Matthew 14. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, and people shall betray one another and hate one another and deliver them to be destroyed. So he says, your people who have hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake. Of course, they don't see it that way. Well, that's the way people excommunicate other, others oftentimes, because they, they hate the truth. They don't think it's the truth, but they hate it. And so people are scattered all over the place, and the sheep of God are everywhere. And Christ said, you know, he's going to come and, be, you know, he's, uh, and take his sheep into his bosom and cast away the evil shepherds and punish them. So he said, though the, you know, those who cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified. In other words, say, hey, we're, doing, we're doing the will of God, you know. Like the statement, those who kill you will think that they're doing God a favor. That's how perverted a mind can get. So let's say that let the Lord be glorified, let the eternal be glorified, that we may see your joy. You know, let's destroy the body that the soul may be saved, so to speak. But they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, the voice of, from the temple, the voice of the eternal, who fully repays his enemy. So... As much as we're going to suffer, we don't have to worry about it. Ultimately speaking, God is going to deliver us. And then we read, verse 7, Before she was in labor, speaking about the church, she gave birth. Happened the first time, and the Redeemer was born. And Israel was the one giving birth. And here again, speaking about Israel now, only this time it's a nation that is born. You know, once the Redeemer was born, now the nation is born. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? And who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? That's the birthday of the church, not 2,000 years ago. For as soon as Zion was in labor... She gave birth to her children. Verse 9. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Eternal? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? In other words, you're going to go through the great tribulation and you get the impression everybody's going to die. God says, don't worry about it. I lead you through the birth pangs and I'm going to help you to be born. Through much tribulation, we must enter into that kingdom which is going to be in Jerusalem, which is a symbol of the nation of Israel. And so he says in verse 10, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who, are, who love her. Rejoice for the joy with her, all you who mourn for her. And how many people are mourning for Jerusalem and all the abominations that are in it and all the burden you know, that the city is because of all the evil people all around that want to... to uh, Divide it and subdivide it and to pollute it with their own religions. Is Jerusalem specific? The location of many, many religions on the face of the earth and they're all of Babylon. And the children of Judah who are there, many of them are mixed up in many ways, yet still are faithful to the Torah of God. So they still keep a lot of uh, knowledge and understanding with them. And when God comes, they would recognize him this time because they know the scriptures. Verse 11, so he said, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. 4, verse 12, that says the eternal, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, 
It's not peace plans. It's not peace negotiations which are going to bring it. It's not this government or that government putting pressure on the people over there to make peace, twisting their arms. Oh no. God said, I will extend peace to her like a river. That's not a product of politics. Another product of nations, of the United Nations, or anything, or Oslo Accord. God is going to bring it, but he's going to bring it to his people when he comes to bring redemption. Otherwise, there will be no peace. And all the delusions of people are just that. And the glory of the nations, like a flowing stream, continue in verse 12, then you shall feed on her sides, shall you be carried. Speaking about the children of Jerusalem and be dandled on her knees as one whom his mother, Jerusalem, the mother of us all, as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Verse 14, When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Eternal shall be known to his servants, and his indignation to his enemies, who nowadays claim to be his servants, or in the past 2,000 years. Those who make themselves to be Jews and are no Jews, or Israelites, and they are not Israelites, or spiritual Israel, and they are not spiritual Israel. Or church of God, and they are not the church of God. These are the enemies of God. Verse 15, For behold, the Eternal will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Eternal will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Eternal shall be many. Because many came in his name and deceived many. That's why many are going to die, because they're not going to repent, no matter what. Because the lies of Babylon are so deeply entrenched in them, they're not capable of coming out of it even though they are being warned by the servants of God. Verse 17, those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves, God speaking to those uh, who are his enemies, to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh. That's an enemy of God. God says, be you holy, for I am holy. Don't eat swine. And people say, oh, it's okay, we can eat swine, because God said it's okay. In the New Testament, and that's a, a good excuse. In the New Testament, it's okay. In the Old Testament, it's not okay. So if you're a physical Jew, it's okay. You don't have to eat it. But if you're a spiritual Jew, it's okay. You can eat it. Well, God says you're an enemy. If you speak like that, if you feel like, like that, if you think like that. That's an abomination, he says. You know, those who eat swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, put them all in one category. So those who eat Pork or ham, might as well eat a mouse. Anything that moves. And all these people, you know, God says, shall be consumed together, says the Eternal. Is it worth eating swine or pork or ham and being consumed? Verse 18, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, because I'm going to make them come to Jerusalem and keep the Feast of Tabernacles and keep the holidays of God and keep the law of God, the Torah of God. And they're not going to be arguing anymore after that. 
so-called, you know, big daddy is going to, you know, rise up and start spanking. Nobody's going to say no to him. He's going to make everyone bow down and, you know, the knee before him or else. Verse 19, once he makes them come to Jerusalem, to his people, his nation, his city, the children of Israel, the twelves of Israel, verse 19, now he's going to give the nations a commission. Verse 19, I will set a sign among them, and those among them who escape, I will send to the nations. And when he comes down to smite the nations that surround Jerusalem, okay, I'm going to give you a job now. You better go and do it, or else. So he said, I'm going to send them among the nations to Tarshish and Pool and Lud, who draw the bow, and to Val and Yavan, to the coastlands afar off. In other words, I'll go all around the earth, bring back my children of Israel, who have not heard my fame, nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. Imagine that. The heretics are going to become, in spite of them, ministers of righteousness. What an irony. I know, it's quite humorous when you think about it. Just like uh, Saul goes out into Damascus as a heretic from the point of view of God and arrives in Damascus as a preacher of righteousness of the one he was persecuting. Now, you can see the same humor of God here too. All this happened, uh, uh, God says, that's the way he's going to do it. You know, did in the past, uh, you know, if it works, he'll continue to do it. Verse 20. Then they shall bring all your brethren, children of Israel, for an offering to the Eternal out of all nations. They hated them, they persecuted them, they sent them into slavery and captivity, they mocked them, they made fun of them, they killed them, butchered them, insinuated them, all kind of things like that. And now they're going to come back as preachers of righteousness and tell the children of Israel, you know, climb on my shoulders, I'm going to take you home. What an awesome future for the church of God. Speaking about the physical ones, the others will become spirit beings. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the eternal out of all nations. Because you see, if some of the people of Judah are going to be behind, you know, already in the land when Christ comes to them. And they're already there. They don't need to be brought back. And so he's speaking to them in essence. Because remember the message in Isaiah 1.1? The vision of Isaiah to Jerusalem to Judah in Jerusalem. So he's telling his people Judah. Uh, he's going to bring all of, all of your brethren and all, of the, you know, all the Jews and all the Israelites and all the tribes of Israel. You're going to bring all of them. So you're not going to be the only ones in the land. And they're all going to inherit the whole land. And so they're going to bring your brethren for an offering to the eternal out of all nations on horses and in chariots and in leaders, you know, on mules and on camels. Uh, whichever way, they're going to bring them. If need be, on their shoulders. And they're going to bring them to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. Symbol of a nation. My sanctuary. My place of habitation. This is what God, where God is going to be. This is what Jesus Christ is going to be. This is what the Redeemer is going to be. Not up there in heaven. And amazing, you know, for 2,000 years people wasted their life for nothing. Believing lies. None of them ever made it up there. And yet, this is what they think they are. And so this is going to bring them to my holy mountain, to Jerusalem, says the Eternal, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Eternal. I, and I, God says, will also take some of them, of the children of Israel, for priests and Levites. 
Not all of them. Those who are the tribe of, uh, of Levi. Uh, so they're going to be again priests and Levites, like in the days of old, says the Eternal. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me. And that is the first stage of the renewal of the heaven and the earth. Remember, a long time ago we had a lesson, uh, one of the first ones, uh, about the, uh, the concept of heaven and the different heavens and different uh, fulfillment of recreation of the heaven and the earth. This is uh, the one before the last one. And so, as for as the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, there's a reference here to Revelation 21.1, but that's confusion because that's talking about the second time, the second fulfillment of it after the second resurrection. And uh, the people that put it here are... Uh, are not uh, aware of the whole uh, story, and so they, they thought, well, that, that sounds like Revelation. Well, it's not, because that one is a final fulfillment. No more than the first resurrection is the second resurrection, and the time in between is a thousand years. And so he says, there's the new heavens, for the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Eternal, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Now, how long, how long, is the new heaven and the new earth going to remain? That's how long the children of Israel will constantly be before him. So at what point, again, the question is, did he ever reject them and put down Israel, as some would say, and picked up the church? You see the foolishness in this statement? People without knowledge who think that they know and they don't, and they, don't and they make this kind of statements that they have done it, you know, for the past 2,000 years. Verse 23, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, the two are always linked together, new moon and the Sabbath. Uh, new moon was also a Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me. And that's all around the earth. There's going to be altars all around the earth also for people to come and bring an offering to God. And all going to do it in unison. I'm going to be in many, you know, many religions. Each one does his own thing. And some do it on Friday, and some on Wednesday, and some on Tuesday, and some uh, Sunday. Now it's going to be one day when God decides the new moon is for all the earth. That's when they're going to do it, you know, take into consideration the uh, time change. And all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Eternal, and they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not does not die, and their fire is not quenched. There shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. In other words, once you throw them into the fire, wherever they may be, he's not going to bring all of them to Jerusalem and throw them into the fire there. Wherever they are, all around the earth, God is going to pick up the rebels and the transgressors everywhere, all around the earth, and throw them into a fire that people are going to set up. And they're going to watch them burn. Not burn in hell forever, but burn and become ashes. And they're going to be an abhorrence to people. And so as long as you know, the rebels are there, and who knows how long that will take, since the Redeemer of Israel is going to reign for a thousand years until he puts all of his enemies under his foot, so you know it's going to, not everybody's going to be obedient in the beginning. It's going to take a while. So they're going to see a lot of burning for a while. And they're going to watch it. And they're going to make the fire. They're going to throw them into the fire, and nobody's going to play games with God anymore. And that's what God makes very plain. This is what he's going to do. And that's, in essence, is the end of the story of the book of Isaiah. So it's important to always remember, from God's point of view, always study the word of God, the way he said it, 
and you don't read the whole story, you cannot just pick up a little bit here and a little bit there. Nobody reads a book like that. Try to study the law like that. You know, if you want to be a lawyer or, or, or a, a physician or wherever it may be, you'd never know where you are. You got to study it methodically from the beginning until the end. And people don't do it. They do it for anything else but for the Word of God. That's why they're mixed up. You don't go to see a movie in the middle or in the end. You always go from the beginning. And people don't have that you know, that simple insanity to do it with the Word of God. And that's why people are confused. And so we finish with Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and all the prophecies over there. And later on, mind you, later on, when the New Testament, uh, well, we call it the New Testament, when the, when the disciples of Jesus Christ came on the scene and were preaching, what were they preaching? Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were not preaching the New Testament. What they preached became called by people the New Testament. There's nothing New Testament about it. When it was all around from the beginning of the time, you know, from Genesis 1-1, What's New Testament about it? God already said it all over the place from the beginning until the end. It's one story. You don't divide the story. You see, the movie begins, you stand there until the end, and that's it. It's one story. It's one book, one doctrine, one church. Always remember that. When people divide it in their mind, then they come up with their own ideas. And so, all they all preached, uh, the prophets... When Christ came on the scene, that's what he appealed to, the prophets, that he himself inspired. And whatever they preached, whatever they magnified, the Torah that they magnified, and the Torah in their day was from Genesis to Malachi, that's what the Torah was in their day. Whatever they magnified became known by some people later on uh, who called it the New Testament. All it meant is a continuation of the story. God never stopped talking to his people. With the prophets and disciples and whatever their name was, you know, they were still, you know, the same uh, type of people. Servants of God who carried his word. And so that's what they preached. So we have to look at it from that point of view. And that was their background. Had they not had all these prophets, which were the foundation of the church, beginning with Moses, as a major one that put it together, but actually you begin uh, really from Abel, righteous Abel. Abraham was a prophet. Uh, Jacob and Isaac were prophets. All these people were prophets. And they were the foundation of the church. And to claim that the prophets of old were not the foundation of the church is misinformation. Total misinformation based on total ignorance. And so if you want to understand it, look at it that way, from God's point of view, you know, put on his eyeglasses. And now, so we'll finish with, we finish with Isaiah, let's go now to Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, well, God always looks back to experiences in the, in his, Marriage with his people, his relationship with his people, good and bad and all that, and he describes all of them. And you've got to read the whole thing. And so in chapter 2, this is what he chose to remember at this point. And that's at a time when people, uh, the people of Judah were uh, uh, way down the drain, so to speak. And the uh, children of Israel are already gone. And God raised uh, Jeremiah to, to bring them back to their sanity before it's too late. And yet in chapter 2, this is what it says about his wife. Moreover, the word of the Lord, verse 1, came to me saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, you know, my city, my people, the symbol of my nation, the mother of Israel, so to speak, saying, Thus says the Eternal, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness. So he's sort of uh, reminiscing the good times they had in their honeymoon, so to speak. And a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the eternal, the first fruits of his increase. 
Israel is the first fruit of the nations, was, is, and will be. They've never been rejected from that position. So he says, Israel was holiness to the eternal, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the eternal. Did the people, did the nations, did the false church ever listen to that? Avidly they kill them, burn them, destroy them, call them children of hell, you know, concluded all of them in hell. And God says, no, I'm just concluding them temporarily uh, in ignorance and blindness, you know, no faith, temporarily. God is warning all nations, even through the, uh, the, the ministry of Jeremiah, where he's going to tell them an awful lot of bad things, which, you know, he did not appreciate. And so in verse 4 he says, Hear the word of the eternal, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Speaking about the whole nation, his people, his wife. What injustice have your fathers found in me? So the bridegroom, the husband, is complaining to, to his wife. Why are you treating me like that? And uh, he says, they have gone far from me. They have followed idols, other husbands, other men, so to speak, you know, and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, where is the eternal who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, you know, the wilderness that they went through, and yet God remembered those times as a honeymoon, and he was reminiscing on that. Uh, he said, he led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through the land of drought and the shadow of death. As bad as it was, God was with them. So it was still a honeymoon, though it was in the wilderness. God fed them all the time. They were not hungry and took care of their needs. And uh, he was with them in their midst. Could have had an access to him any time they wanted. Through the priesthood, through Moses, through Aaron. And so verse 7, he says, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its uh, goodness. But when you entered in, into that land, that is, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests, the leaders, the religious leaders, just like today, they didn't say, where is the eternal? They invented their own religion. And those who handled the, the, the Torah did not know me. And how many people who handle supposedly the Torah today or the word of God don't even know God? It's unbelievable. Nothing new about it. The prophets prophesied by Baal and all their God and walked after things that do not profit, which they still do to this very day. Therefore, verse 9, will, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Eternal. Otherwise, I'm going to contend with you. And against your children's children, I will bring charges. And so God is warning them. Behave yourself, because I'm going to repay you for that. And uh, then he continues the story about the rebellion of his, of his nation. And uh, in chapter 3, we continue the story. We don't want to read everything. You can read it at home. And hopefully now that you have had enough information and we're going to have much more till the end of the story, hopefully you'll open the book for the first time in your life and read it word for word and see it with a proper understanding of who and what is the church of God. And then you understand what are the obligations of the church and the law of the church and the way of the church that it should follow instead of having contempt for the word of God, for the law of God, for the Torah of God. That's why God says, even those who handle my Torah, my word, my instructions, they don't even know me. All the claims like they do. Among the many who come in my name, in the name of my word, saying that I am the, the eternal, I am the Lord, I am the Redeemer, I am the Messiah, I am Jesus Christ. 
and deceive many because themselves are ignorant people and deceived. And oftentimes they may be sincere, but they are deceived. And so in chapter 3, God continues the story, speaking to his wife. They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man, may he return return to her again? And of course the answer is no, because God says you can't do it. Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet, unlike that law, I want you back, yet return to me, says the Eternal. See? Even throughout all that, God never gave up on his wife, and he never will, and never gave up on his people, and he never will, and never gave up on his church, and he never will. Yet false preachers came on the scene and began to preach that 2,000 years ago, and they do it to this very day, and many of us are being deceived by it. Because we came out of lies and brought it with us, and continue with the lies, and believe them, and we're sincere. It's not enough to be sincere. You have to worship God in truth and in spirit. And unless you know his truth, the way he taught it, not the way men taught that his truth is, you're not going to be able to worship God in truth and in spirit, but with lies. And that's why God says, you know, you bring me an offering, you know, you bring me your worship and all that. It's not different than if you killed a swine, you know, uh, brought me swine's blood or killed a, a man or whatever. God does not have any appreciation for that. And so he says, you return to me in spite of the fact that you did what you did. Verse 2, lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see, where have you not lain with men? That's the kind of a woman you were. And yet, in spite of that, God says, return to me. And I think we should stop at this point now. And uh, also greetings to all of God's people. Until next time, this is Mordecai Joseph. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.